Good morning and happy Sabbath. It's good to see your smiling faces today. Glad to be back here at the Mount Pleasant Seventh-day Adventist Church. Um, For those of you that don't know me, my name is Heath Archer. I'm a member of the Crowley Seventh-day Adventist Church in Crowley, Texas. Um, I'm married to a beautiful wife, Jacqueline, and I've got three uh, little boys that just keep us busy, uh, Boone, Hudson, and Luke, and they are hopefully watching today online. So hello, guys. Good to see you guys. I'm glad you're watching as well. And for those that are watching either now or later, uh, may you receive a blessing, not by anything here, but by the words that God gives to each and every one of us uh, to then lift up and draw us closer in a walk with Him. Title of the message today is The Anchor Holes. Uh, I appreciate Beverly working that special music, that song, into today's message. I can tell you it's been a a few months back that I heard this song, and it just stuck, and it kept there. It just stayed there. I kept it in my mind throughout the day, throughout the week. I go about my business, but it would come back. And so um, I'm not a pastor by profession by any means. I'm uh, just a I'm in manufacturing sales throughout the week, but um, I have an opportunity to share God's Word, Um, and I've taken a step of faith to share God's Word or what He's put on my heart. But the title of the message, as I mentioned, Anchor Holes, is uh, for me, I always look at the meaning of the title or, or a word that I choose to speak about or discuss or have a Bible study about. And anchor. I mean, the first thing that jumps out of you is an anchor. What is an anchor used for? Well, an anchor is used to hold something still, keep something in place. Um, I did a little research on an anchor. It's, it's dated back 400 B.C. The Greeks actually invented a, the first anchor, first of many anchors, <clears throat> with a flat rock. And they took a flat rock and chiseled a hole through that rock and had the rope you know, at that time, attached to the rock, and the rock would then dredge the bottom of the sea, but it would actually hold the boat, and really what the purpose of that anchor was supposed to be. Fast forward a little bit to today's time. Uh, There's a couple different types of anchors. I'm kind of a research nerd, so I kind of research things, so please bear with me. Um, There's a mooring anchor, uh, and then there's a more of a, a temporary anchor. I didn't know there was such a thing as a more of a permanent anchor, but there, are, there is such a thing as more of a permanent anchor that people use. And it's my hope today that we don't lean or look for a temporary anchor in our lives. The whole goal of today is that we look toward a permanent anchor in our lives. And I hope the anchor in your life is not the world. I hope the anchor in your life is God. Main themes or takeaways for today's message, a little homework for you to remember, is that God is in control, no matter what. We all as believers, we're here today, we worship, we come every Sabbath, right? We've maybe grown up in church school, Uh, yeah, I hear it, yeah, Jesus is great, God is in control, but have we really trusted in putting, putting Him in control of our lives? I can tell you right now, I'm have to step back many times, even standing in front of you today as a uh, sinner, is, yeah, I put God in my life. But then, you know, as, as life goes on, 
I tend to, oh yeah, I, I got this, God. I, I, I can handle this. I can do this. And when I do that, it's in those times that I falter. But God waits. He patiently waits and he watches. And he's always there. So, number one, God is in control. Number two, God is always with us. Just like that permanent anchor. He is with us. He is with you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. No matter what. And finally, God, excuse me, give everything to God. And back to that, that statement just a couple minutes ago. We are carnal in nature. We want to hold on to things. We think we're in control, right? <laughs> we're not. <laughs> as much as I and you, we think, and yeah, we're in control. Life is grand. We're not. But give everything to God. And it's my hope today, as we get into the message, we're getting into the story of Gideon today. Um, I read a lot from the scriptures. It's a true Bible study, so I'll be reading through scripture. Uh, we're looking at Judges chapter 6 uh, and chapter 7. Don't be nervous. We're not reading all of 6 and all of 7. I've been told I only have an hour and a half to speak today, so I'll try to, <laughs> I'll try to keep, it, keep it brief. But uh, at any rate, at the end of the day, we're going to look at the story of Gideon. I'll read a little bit. I'm, looking at the, I'm reading from the New International Version today. If you have the King James Version or Clear Word, that's great. That's awesome. But at the end of the day, I'm just going to read some excerpts through the Bible, talk a little bit about it, and really help, maybe hope, draw some connections that we've not seen before and maybe not looked at an angle uh, of a particular story of Gideon and just who this man was uh, and how God was his anchor and how he held through the storm. Can we bow our heads for a word of prayer, please? Father God, I want to thank you once again for this lovely church. I thank you for the opportunity that I have, just the foolishness of preaching, uh, to come up here and attempt to, to speak your word. You are so eloquent, and you are all-knowing, and you have many ways to reach each and every one of us. May you please use me today somehow, dear Lord, to impart upon somebody here how wonderful you are, how much you love them, and how much you're the, you want to be the anchor in their lives and that you hold no matter what. Thank you once again. Please bless this message and the rest of this day. In Christ's name, amen. All right, so let's get into the Word. Um, Judges chapter 6, and I'm going to start in verse 11. So uh, if you wouldn't mind, just uh, give me a, an amen uh, whenever you're there, and we'll, we'll get into it. That was great. Okay, so chapter 6, we start in Judges, where the Israelites did evil. It starts in Judges uh, chapter 6, verse 1. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Now, where have we heard this before? I mean, it's pretty much a reoccurring theme, right? The Israelites did evil in the sight of the Lord. The Israelites turned and turned away from the Lord. The Israelites, uh, you know... And then I, then I got to thinking about it. I was like, I need to put, again, Heath did evil in the lives of the Lord. Again, the city of Crowley. Again, Mount Pleasant. Our society, again, society today did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years, he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. And the Midianites, these people, they ravaged their land. 
they came in and they just like locusts. They were all over this, these, the Israelites' land and really just impoverished them. And it was during that time, during that storm in the Israelites' life, that they looked, they finally looked to their heavenly Savior, to their heavenly Father. It says in verse 7, When the Israelites cried to the Lord because of Midian, ah, He sent them a prophet. This is what the Lord of God of Israel says, I brought you up out of Egypt and out of slavery. I snatched you from the power of Egypt and from the hand of your oppressors. God's reminding the Israelites when He comes, when He hears their prayer, finally. He reminds them of the statutes, of the, uh, the establishment that He had, the covenant that He had with these people. And He reminds them how He brought them out. So he's given them a little history lesson here. From the hand of all your oppressors, I drove them from before you and gave them into your hand. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened. So this is where we get into the story. This is where we find Gideon. And I'd like to dwell, I'd love to, you know, deep dive a little bit more into it, but I won't be able to today. But please, as I'm reading today, uh, I, I prayerfully ask that you consider going back into the story this afternoon or this week and just meditate and pray about it and really just see uh, maybe a different angle that I did not mention today that God can reveal to you. But we start in verse 11, truly, <clears throat> where this angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah and be, and be, <clears throat> that belonged to Joash, the Abizarite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. Now, is it normal to thresh wheat in a wine press? No. And so that's one thing that just kind of popped out to me. It's like, okay, the Midianites, they were ravaging, taking over the land, oppressing the Israelites. So here Gideon is, and the other Israelites, I'm sure, they had to do, take means and matters in their own hands to survive. And so here Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to, to keep it from the enemy. When the angel, verse 12, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And that's today's scripture verse, right? The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Remember that. The Lord is with you, insert your name there. We see the response of Gideon here in 13. But sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us in this, into the hands of Midian. In verse 14, The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? So once again, we see this discourse between Gideon and the angel. And Gideon, you know, forgive me you know, for asking, but, you know, He's, he's grasping, he's looking for something on his own account, on his own means that he can handle whatever he's being asked to do, right? But yet, in 14, we see the Lord turning to him, saying, go in the strength you have. So it's saying, go, Heath. Go, Ruth. Go in the strength that I've given you, right? You've got it. You've got this. No, no more you've got this. It's I'm with you. I'm in control. I'm always with you. <clears throat> we see Gideon's response. I could put myself in the same situation. That's why I'm drawn to the story. But Lord, Gideon asked, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. 
insert a line there. Lord, how can I do this? I don't have the financial capabilities. I'm not a school man. I don't I can't speak in front of people. And he's calling out what God already knows. My clan is the weakest. I am the least in my family. In verse 16, the Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites together. That's a strong claim. But Gideon finds out how faithful and true that statement is later, a little bit later. Once again, we see Gideon response. Gideon replied, If now I've found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that is really you talking to me. Ah, I can really draw close to this. Have you ever been caught in this situation? Oh, God, I feel like you're talking to me. I feel like the Lord is working in my heart to do something, to act, to move. But I just need a sign. If I could just have a sign from God. Do you think at any moment God could give us as many signs as we wanted? Yes. As many signs. Please, please do not go away until I come back and bring back my offering and set it before you. I love this line. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. We have the creator of the universe discoursing with a man that he's created. But yet the creator is waiting on the created. Yes, I will wait until you return. Beautiful words. So what do we find? What what happens next? Well, in verse 19, we find out. Gideon went in. He prepared a young goat and an ephah of flour he had made. And he made bread without yeast. Putting the meat in a basket and broth in its pot, he brought them out and offered them to him under the oak. Now, I like, I like trees, so I'm going to just say something really quick. I love trees, so I love this too, that he mentions the oak tree a couple times in the story. Uh, so, and I know you've got some beautiful trees out here, but uh, the oak to me signifies strength as well. So I'm pulling from that and where this conversation is taking place, that uh, the oak of God is with, with each and every one of us, as well as with Gideon during this story. There's a strong semblance there for me. In verse 20, says, the angels of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened bread, place them on this rock, and pour out the broth. And Gideon did so. With the tip of the staff that was in his hand, the angel of the Lord touched the meat and unleavened bread. Fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread. And the angel of the Lord disappeared. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Ah, sovereign Lord! I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. This was very, very special in Gideon and his heart and how it touched his heart. As it would be for us if we came face to face with an angel of the Lord. Could you imagine going through a trial, going through life, and the angel of the Lord coming to you and having this discourse, wanting you to save your people, wanting you to stand up for Him through the storm. Verse 22, 23, excuse me. But the Lord said to him, Peace, do not be afraid. You are not going to die. So Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it 
the Lord is peace. And to this day it stands in Ophrah of the Abiezrites. So that little snippet, I mean, and we see exactly what Gideon does after he has this encounter, face-to-face encounter. What does he do? He praises, and then he builds an altar, right? He built an altar. Built an altar. He built an altar to worship, to give praise, to give glory to the encounter that he just had. Fast forward a little bit. Uh, and and uh, we're going to get into chapter 7. Um, now we're getting into the battle or the storm. More, more of a storm kind of heats up a little bit for Gideon throughout this time and this discourse that he has with the Lord. We see that uh, Gideon and all his men were heading down to fight the Midianites. They were like locusts. Like I said, these, these people were just, there were vast, so many of them. So you can imagine in Gideon's head, uh, just sheer numbers. He probably knew he was outnumbered. He probably knew he just physically did not have the force to take on, but yet he had had this encounter, right? He'd had this encounter with God, with the angel of God. He knew exactly what he was supposed to do. Now, was he, did he have enough faith to do, to take it? to that next level, to actually execute the plan. So in, ver- in, in chapter 7, verse 1, early in the morning, Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and all his men at the spring of Herod, camped at the spring of Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Moray. The Lord said to Gideon, You have too many men for me to, live, to deliver Midian into their hands. I've never served in the military. I'm, I'm not a military person, but if anybody's been in the military here, thank you for your service, first and foremost. We, I appreciate your service. But if I was a general or standing around a, a table of a bunch of generals or leaders in a, in a military force about to go to war, and someone stepped in and said, guys, we've got too many men. Right? It's just the converse of what you're thinking. What do you mean I have too many men? I don't have enough. I want to just overrun them with sheer force, right? Brute force and, and people. But yet we see God unfolding, taking layers back for Gideon to grow in his faith. Taking layers back for Heath to grow in my faith. You know, I don't have to insert a physical battle in here. Insert financial, health, marriage, job, friendship. Family woes, whatever you want to in that. That's our battle, right? The world today. Turn on any channel. It's doom and gloom, right? We get caught up in it. So insert that into this story while as I'm reading, as you are listening. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men for me to deliver Midian into their hands. Gideon, I'm sure, is going, okay, this ought to be interesting. In order that Israel may not boast, ah, against me, that her own strength has saved her. Announce now to the people, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left, while 10,000 remained. Did you hear me? 22,000 left and only 10,000 remained. I'm sure Gideon at this time is maybe having a little self-reflection, right, during this time. God, you told me this. You told me what we were going to do. 
right? You told me to go in peace. I'm not going to die. You're going to deliver these people into my hands, but yet you've just sent more than half my force away. Verse 4, But the Lord said to Gideon, Ah, here we go. The Lord's going to make it. He's going to confirm it and give him the confidence that he needs to go into battle, right? But the Lord said to Gideon, There are still too many men. Take them down to the water, and I will sift them for you there. If I say this one shall go, he shall go. But if I say this one shall not go, he shall not go. I can imagine the walk, that the thought process Gideon was having as he was going down to the water for God to sift these 10,000 men for him, hoping, God, please just only take a 1,000 or maybe a couple hundred, right? So Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told him, Separate those who lap the water with their tongues like a dog from those who kneel down to drink. Three hundred men lapped with their hands to their mouths. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. In verse 7, The Lord said to Gideon, With the three hundred men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the other men go, each to their own place. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites to their tents, but kept the three hundred who took over provisions and the trumpets of the others. Folks, Gideon had 30,000 men, right? 32,000, 32,000 men, and now he's down to 300 men. I, once again, just imagine yourself in Gideon's shoes. Imagine somebody watching this on camera. If we could film this, right? This whole climatic scene unfolding, where you know that there's thousands upon thousands of Midianites just across the way. But yet, before you battle, when you're going focused in life, right? Before you battle whatever it is that's going on in your life, God says, wait. Don't take this. Don't take that. Just take me. Just take me. I am enough. I want you to see my power. You have money in the bank. Just look at me. Don't look at the money in the bank. Oh, but the economy's going bad. There's people losing jobs. We've got a shortage of all kinds of things. I'm talking about 2022 right now. It's easy to get caught up in today's world. It was easy for Gideon to get caught up in what was in front of him physically. What he was facing. But God doesn't want us to do that. God wants us to look at what He is doing. God wants us to look up instead of out. Now the camp of Midian lay before him in the valley. During that night, the Lord said to Gideon, I just want to say I am so glad that we serve a God who is so gracious and so faithful and so long and patient. <laughs> and I'm speaking of me here. We see God again during the night. The Lord, in verse 9, during the night, the Lord said to Gideon, Get up and go down against the camp because I'm going to give it into your hands. Once again, he's reaffirming what he is going to do. Gideon, you've got this, right? How great is that? Heath, you've got this, right? I'm with you. You don't need all of these ancillary things. You just need me. Because I'm going to give it into your hands. In verse 10, 
If you are afraid to attack, this is God talking to Gideon, go down to the camp with your servant Pura and listen to what they are saying. Afterward, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. So he and Pura, his servant, went down to the outpost of the camp. The Midianites and Amalekites and all the other eastern peoples had settled in the valley, thick as locusts. Their camels could no more be counted than the sand of the seashore. Once again, looking with his eyes, right? If we look with our eyes what's what's going on in this world, yes, we will get discouraged. Yes, we will get depressed. Because it's looking through that sinful eye. We're looking through our eyes and not God's eyes. The lens of God over our eyes purifies, clarifies, and gives us peace. Verse 13, Gideon arrived just as a man was telling his friend a dream. Wow, isn't that amazing? Gideon arrived just at the the same time that a man was talking about the dream he had had. God is wonderful. I had a dream, he was saying. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. His friend responded, This can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. Gideon walked up at the exact moment that this man was telling, revealing a dream. His enemy was revealing a dream to another soldier. And God let Gideon hear from the enemy the fear that God had already put in their hearts. The plan that God had already laid in Gideon's life. The plans that are laid in each and every one of our lives. Oh, what, what a great feeling it is that when we are going through life and you're praying about something and we truly give it to God, the anchor, and when we see it happen, how awesome is that? That is so confirming that our God is still alive, our God is still working, and our God is still with us. He is the anchor through the storm. He will hold I don't know about your boat if it's battered. I don't know about about your sails if they're torn. But I can tell you, if you're not going through the storm of life right now, you will. We all will. But it's my hope that you would just stay steadfast in God. Stay focused in Him. Don't look at what you have. Look at what God has for you. In verse 15, when Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he worshipped God. Once again, we see it in chapter 6. In verse 24, he, he built an altar, altar, right? When he just had that, that uh, discourse with the angel. Now he heard the dream. God told him, go down. You're going to hear it from the enemy's mouth. Gideon heard it. And what did he do? What's the first thing he did? He worshipped that's another thing. Please worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. That means this man's character. You can tell a lot about a man's care, a person's character, excuse me, by how they react. When something is thrown into your life, something's thrown into somebody else's life. Watch how people react. You'll learn a lot about somebody's character. We find out the character of Gideon here with what his first reaction was when he heard the great news. Did he pat himself on the back? No, he did not pat himself on the back. Look what we're going to do, Pura. No, no, he didn't say that. He worshipped God. He gave honor, praise, and glory back to where it belongs. He returned to the camp of Israel and called out, Get up! 
The Lord has given the Midianite camp into our hand, into your hands. Dividing the three hundred men into three companies, he placed trumpets and empty jars in the hands of all of them with torches inside. Watch me. He led them through this, this, this battle with jars, right? And, and so he says, follow me. Do exactly what I do. In verse 18, when I and all are with, with me, blow our trumpets. And then from all around the camp, blow yours and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. I don't hear any talk of any swords or weapons here. Now, granted, they're, they're soldiers, so they probably had them on them. But he's talking about a trumpet. He's tra- talking about a jar and a light. That's all we need. That's all he needed. So that, I take that as that's all I, I need. Whatever God tells me, I need. Gideon and the 300 men in verse 19 went with him, reached the edge of the camp, and at the beginning of the midnight watch, middle watch, excuse me, just after they had changed the guard, they blew their trumpets and broke the jars with their hands, that were in their hands. And the three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars, grasping the torches in their left hands and holding in their right hands the trumpets they were to blow. They shouted, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. While each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran, crying as out as they fled. When the three hundred trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the, mid, the, the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. The army fled. They had a trumpet in one hand and a torch in the other. And they shouted. To me, they could have had whatever, put whatever in their hands, right? A pen, a rock, a shoe, a sandal. That's not the point. It's not what they had physically in their hands. It's who they had in their heart. It's who they were worshiping. It's who they were focused on. It's who I am focused on. It's who we are focused on. Not only just on Sabbath day. I'm going to step on any toes here, right? I had a friend up in Colorado. He said, don't church it up. And I'm, this is years ago. I'm like, what do you, what, what's he mean by churching it up? And he goes, well, Heath, that means that you, know, you see people coming on Sabbath. They come in in their suit or their nice clothes and, hey, everything's good, everything's fine. Yeah, well, well, everything's good. And then when they go home, it's not the case. So don't church it up. Be real. We see in this particular situation, Gideon and his men are real. They're raw, right? Because God has confirmed in them what it is he was going to do. God is confirming with each and every one of us what he wants us to do. Do you believe you're a disciple of God? Amen. What are we supposed to do? I'm, I'm talking to myself here, guys. I'm not, I'm, trust me, I'm not pointing fingers. Like I said, I'm not a pastor. What am I supposed to do? Right? I've got a willing heart. But I need to get out of my comfort zone. I need to get out of the boat of the world and get into the boat of God. My, bat, my, my ship will be battered. It has been battered. My sails have been torn. But you know what? The anchor holds. The anchor holds. Father God, once again, I just thank You for this, this opportunity to speak Your Word, to draw from stories in, in Your holy book. 
to help embolden and, and lift each and every one of us up, to give us hope through the storm, whether it's going through now or maybe in the future. May we always remember to cling to the anchor. You are the permanent anchor that you want to be in our lives, and I pray that each and every one of us want to be in your life as well. Thank you for this message. Thank you for this church. And may you bless this church exceedingly and abundantly as the days go on until we meet you again in the clouds of glory. In Christ's name, amen.